next stop, the Super Bowl. Hell yeah, you know we on. We built to do this all night long. Who that? Who that say they gon' beat them Saints? They a lie. They can try, but in the don't we know they ain't. Let's go. We on the road. The next stop, the Super Bowl. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hoodat, and welcome back to the Canal Street Chronicles podcast. I'm your host as always, Brendan Ertle. Today, it's just me. Uh, we'll get Nate and Chris on Wednesday to preview the Bucks game. But, you know, work has us in all different kind of schedules. And I'm recording this. I think you guys will hear it Tuesday morning. That's probably when it will come out. But moving forward, you can expect us to get the post-game pods all together on Sunday. Um, just this weekend was hectic for all of us, so... Um, let's get into this breakdown of this game and, you know, kind of get past this game and move forward to Tampa Bay because this was a game where, you know, I didn't expect the way they came out. I didn't expect, you know, Atlanta to look that good, I'll say. I didn't expect a lot of things. Uh, going back to that Chargers preseason game, I thought that was going to be the game where it's like, uh, like we're, we're kind of off schedule. We're, we're not on the same page. We're kind of you know, still figuring it out. And, you know, that might have just been a drive where it worked out for everyone and it made the right reads and everyone was on the same page. Um, but this was week one. Everyone was out there. MT was out there. Jarvis, Olave, Kamara. We had, you know, all the offensive linemen. And it felt like, you know, they didn't practice a lot together. Like, this was like a new thing. Like, they were shocked on what Atlanta did. Now, hats off to Atlanta defensively. I mean, they showed out. They did. You know, I didn't expect them to be as aggressive as they were on defense. They were blitzing Jameis. They were disguising the pressures. Uh, you go back and watch some of the pressures, and it's like Caesar Ruiz or Ramchek or, you know, McCoy, they would miss an assignment, and it was like, come on, you got you to gotta know to, to be in that spot. But it was like the pressure that they, they dialed up. I wish I could pull up a video, but one of the main pressures earlier on, there was a four-man front with a blitzing linebacker in the middle. So it made sense for Ramchek to get the edge, Caesar to get um, the defensive tackle, and McCoy to get the blitzing linebacker. Now, at the snap, the edge defender pops out to defend Juwan Johnson. He ran a little out route, and this was the pass where Jameis just got out immediately because he didn't really know what to do. The defensive tackle kind of rolled out to the to his left and pass rushed on Ramchek and both linebackers that one linebacker was showing blitz and one wasn't and both came and it was confusing for everyone and you know Kamara had to end up blocking two people and James threw the ball immediately so it's not like they were just flat out getting beat because they were not as good it was like communication kind of things I mean we saw the camera pan to Jameis on the sideline after a sack and they were kind of 
trying to hand him the tablet and he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. And what that told me was they know what they need to do. They just need, they just need to figure it out. I mean, it was like, we know what they're doing. We just need to communicate better. We need to have better protection. We need to get the ball out faster. And I mean, when they're blitzing that heavy, there will be guys open. You just need to give the quarterback some time and there needs to be, you know, some kind of rhythm on offense. And there wasn't. So Atlanta, they they pushed us around the first half. They did everything they wanted to do. They looked really good. Their offense was, you know, it felt like that Eagles game last year where it was read options, you know, powers, you know, RPOs, and it was like we can't stop it. And some would say the defensive line didn't play, play very well, and I would agree. You know, you need to see some stats up there for Cam, David Onyemata, Davenport. But in this kind of offense, it is really, really, really hard for a defensive lineman to get any kind of pressure on a quarterback because he's one of the guys in the National Football League that can beat you with his legs. And he's not one of the you know top-tier runners in the league, but he definitely is a guy that you have to worry about. And as a pass rusher, that's in the back of your head. And you know when you go to the sideline, the coach is like, no, don't fully pass rush. With a guy like Tom Brady, you can you can you can go full speed. You can try to get where Tom's gonna be when he sets his feet because he's no threat to step up and run or run to the outside or anything like that. Creating holes in the pass rush, you could say, is not a threat to Tom Brady. But to Marcus Mariota, it's a huge threat. So as you're pass rushing, you're worried about keeping the pocket full, you could say. And having no holes or anywhere that he could scramble out. So you're just trying to contain him. You're not trying to get him necessarily. And that's why there wasn't a ton of pressure. And that's why on run plays, they couldn't really sell out for any kind of run. Because Marcus Mariotic anytime could just pull it and take it to the outside. And they did it multiple times. And it's something that's really, really frustrating. But the only way to stop it is to have your defensive line play really well. Take up blocks. Take up double teams. And your linebackers need to hit on the tackles they can make. Now, earlier on, they couldn't really do that. And it was struggle for even DeMario because it's 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 an offense that's really complicated. And I don't know why, but the Saints just tend to struggle against teams that can do this. And it, I don't think it's necessarily a personnel thing because I think they have great linebackers. And once they figured it out, you know, Pete, DeMario, they started playing really well. I think Pete had a great game. He had 13 tackles. Uh, a forced fumble and one of the biggest hits I've seen out of him uh, against Drake Glennon they called an unnecessary roughness because he hit him too hard but it was like it was frustrating it was really really frustrating it's not like they're just dotting us up they're beating us in the run game it is a threat every time Marcus Murray touches, touches the football now I think Cordell Patterson is one of the most underrated players in the league and if you put him on a team like the Tampa Bay Bucks, he could be like Pro Bowl level He's a 240-pound just athlete, and he's like different. He's a, it's a different kind of athlete than Kamara, because we I mean we know what Kamara can do, but Patterson's 240 pounds, and we felt that every single run. You know, Tyron Matthews not the guy to get trucked, but it was a couple situations where he got put down, and you know, he was mad about it. I was mad about it, but it's like. Derrick Henry, it's like a slim Derrick Henry going through the hole that is able to beat you on the ground in the pass game, and he's one of the best kick returners of all time. So I think Atlanta has 
a good little backfield with Mariota and Cordero Patterson, but it's just something that took him a while to figure out. And I don't think that's going to be like we can't judge the defense based on this performance because they could come out next week against Brady in a, in an offense that they really like to play, and they could look great. But this game, I don't think they looked very good. I think in the second half, obviously, they looked better. But it took some time to figure out what they're going to do. And moving forward, they need to figure out how to stop an offense like this. If you play the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs, you can't just let this keep happening. You need to let the pass game beat you. Because when when Mariota stepped back and kind of threw, if it wasn't a play action or a rollout, wasn't a lot there. And you could find you know five or six throws that he had in the pocket where it was like legitimately good, solid passing that, you know, beat the Saints. So I think moving forward, the defense is all right. This wasn't like a an over-exaggeration. I just think they need to figure this out. And it's something you just move past. You look forward to Tampa Bay. And you just game plan for Tampa Bay and hope this doesn't happen again. Before I start talking about the offense... This is the one thing I will say about the defense. They didn't look good. There were lots of situations where they could have got off the field, didn't, dumb penalties, dumb mistakes, drops, drops, interceptions. The offense was very bad in the first half. They were poor. They didn't execute. There was no rhythm. There was no communication. So the defense would have a 10 to 12 play drive just with hard-nosed football, running, get ran over, blocking, Pete Warner's bleeding. The offense goes out, three and out, punts the football, and they're back to do it again. That was the one thing that I will say that I'll give somewhat of a pass because they were absolutely exhausted. They could not stop the run. The Falcons' offensive line brought it this game. I mean, I, I did everything in my power to talk those guys down, and they came out and showed me wrong. The first half, they were really, really good. They just pushed us around. And Dennis, in his interview, he was like, yeah, we got blocked. And he said, that's what I told him. We just got blocked. We need to work on that. And I've never heard like anyone, any coach say that. Like, yeah, they just blocked us. So that was, I think, partially because they were exhausted. They were gassed. Each drive, they were bringing it to them and just destroying them. And I think moving forward, the offense can't just be that bad in the first half. I don't think they're going to be. So let's talk about the offense now and what they kind of... It was a really weird situation because the first half offense was off schedule. They were confused. It was frustrating. They couldn't really run the ball. The only kind of offense... I mean, they held a 7-3 lead for a second because Taysom Hill is, is a great football player. And I think he fits back in this utility role so much better than, you know, quarterback Taysom. So I think that's a perfect spot for him because he really brought the juice for us early in this game when we could have been down a lot more than we were. But it was like, it wasn't we went to halftime, had 10 points, struggled. Will Lutz missed that 44-yard field goal. It's not like he shanked or anything. It just hit the pipe. Just unfortunate. That's the way things were going. We come in the second half, we looked the exact same. The Falcons had multiple times to put us away in that third quarter. And the defense made some key, key stops. Tyron Matthew and Marcus May combined on a fumble recovery. And the offense 
at around 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden figured it out. And I think it was because they went in their two-minute offense. Completion started to become a little bit easier. The Falcons knew they had a 16-point lead. They started to play off a little bit. They didn't get as aggressive. And that allowed Jameis to hit on some passes, feel comfortable in the pocket. I think the first big one was to Juwan Johnson, who I think had a phenomenal game. And I am shocked to see him playing as much as he did. I mean, we talked about a little bit uh, in the roster breakdown where it's like, you can't cut this guy. He's a freak athlete. He's one of the best, you know, prospects they have. And it seemed like he played the most out of all the tight ends. You know, Nick Vanette was a was a healthy scratch, I think. I mean, he was inactive. Didn't really hear, hear anything injury-wise. Troutman didn't play a ton. Uh, in the receiving game, Taysom had a few catches, or I think maybe one, but I didn't see many routes from him overall. And Jawan Johnson got a majority of those two-minute offense plays, and I think he played great. And I think that allowed Jameis to have some confidence, and all of a sudden, just in five minutes, they were clicking on every single cylinder. There was pressure. They figured it out. The offensive line blocked it correctly. The running back helped out. Everything was perfect with that. The communication was right. Mike, Tom, uh, Mike Thomas had did nothing all game. He had a catch, I think, and a couple drops earlier in the first half. And then Jameis just all of a sudden, it, it, it was like a blink of an eye. Everything, they figured out everything. It was like they just need to figure out the protection, and they just need to hit on a completion. And then they had some rhythm. Jarvis, phenomenal game. Olave, phenomenal game. MT, he's back. Two touchdowns. And... Those two drives that they had were, it, it felt weird. Like, it felt like if they had that kind of offense all game, they could have put up 40 points. Jarvis could have had 200 yards. It felt like this offense could have exploded if they just did figure this out earlier. And it's not like Atlanta was just playing absolute prevent, prevent defense. I mean, they were being conservative, but it's they threw in some blitzes here and there, and, and they weren't you know, as aggressive as they were in the first half. But it was still like a, a, a defense out there that expected to get off the field, and Jameis was just darting it up. There was a play on third down where it was a total design to Michael Thomas on the little wheel route, little fade, and it when when the ball left Jameis's hand, the pocket was perfect. Mike Thomas wasn't even open at that point. Jameis put it in a spot where he knew he was going to be, and at that point, he was open, and it was just the absolute perfect pass. That reminded me of Drew Brees with Michael Thomas, where you just need to trust the guy that he'll be there, he'll be open, and once he hit that completion, I had full confidence in this offense. I was like, okay, they figured it out, get the ball to your playmakers, and all I had to do was figure out the protection, and they did. Jarvis Landry was absolutely phenomenal. He had, you know, I, I think he will be a key part of this offense moving forward and culture-wise too. Seven receptions, 114 yards. Uh, that was a huge game for him. Michael Thomas, he had, of course, had the two touchdowns, 57 yards. Juwan Johnson, two catches, 43 yards. Olave, three catches, 41 yards. And this is all stats in like the last 12 minutes of the game. That's what's crazy about it is that all this happened late in the game. It's like they could have they could have exploded if this happened earlier. Now, there were still some things late in the game where you kind of scratch your head. The two-point conversion with Ingram was confusing. I didn't really understand that. At that point, I don't think Kamara was fully healthy. He has some rib issue that we'll talk about later on. But 
it sounds like it's not overly concerning and it sounds like he'll be okay for next week but that felt like a play designed for Kamara Ingram you know he, he's, a, he's a great back but that just felt like a Sean Payton play call I, that was my first instinct when I saw the play I was like that's what Sean Payton would do in this situation and at that point you know the Saints went to the sideline they were hyped because they just came back from a 16 point deficit they're still down two but we had all the confidence in the world. And Mike Thomas looks at someone, he's pointing, and he's like foaming at the mouth. And we figured out later that he was pointing at Will Lutz, and he said, I'm going to need you to win this game. And that was really, really cool at that point. The Saints knew they had everything they needed. Mike Thomas was relying on someone else to win the game. And, you know, the situation was obvious, what we needed to do. That last defensive drive for Atlanta, it was rocky. It was something that they'll need to look at on film. They couldn't stop the run in the first chain. Then Marshawn gets that holding penalty that was really, really ticky-tacky. Then the Saints stop him on third down. And Marshawn Lattimore, for some reason, just decides to decleat. I didn't even see who it was. It was some Falcons receiver. He just decides to decleat him. He was just pissing him off, and he just... Let me just decleat this kid after the play. And if it was between the whistles, I don't know if they would have called anything. It's because that's football sometimes, and you know they'll they'll keep hitting each other even if the play's not even on that side. But that was so late, and it was so unnecessary, and allowed the Falcons to take a 63-yard field goal, which should be you know something that you don't need to worry about. But Youngway Koo is one of the best kickers in the National Football League, and Peyton Turner makes an appearance and blocks the kick. There was tons in this game where you need to figure it out. There needs to be situations that you go and practice and go over this again. One being the spike, bull spikes. I think every single fan was confused on the first spike and the second spike, and I was confused as well. That first spike where they got the intentional grounding, you can't spike the ball when the player went out of bounds, when the clock's not currently moving. When you get to the ball, the clock's not moving. You don't need to spike. Didn't even know it was a rule. It didn't really make sense why a team would be penalized for hurting themselves when the clock's not even moving. That's just something I've never even seen. But it wasn't obvious. So we had Jarvis had that huge catch down the sideline. Looks like he's touched down inbounds, keeps running. There's no sign of any kind of official saying inbounds, out of bounds. It was an obvious catch. Dennis Allen said he was looking for the ref, but he was like, he was yelling, Jameis, clock it, clock it, clock it, and didn't see a line judge in front of him because he was behind him. Why was he behind him? This was a weak one for everyone. I'm not saying it's the official's fault. I mean, Dennis Allen's probably too far out on the field, but the official needs to make it obvious. And when they threw the flag for intentional grounding, he was kind of smirking, saying the clock wasn't moving. And go back and watch that. The ref was nearly laughing. It's like when you hear clock it, clock it, clock it. You need you need to know the the ref needs to be like no 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 clock stop clock stop. Not they're not, he's not helping them out by saying that. That's just the situation that they're in. If the ref doesn't make it obvious it was out of bounds, someone's got to tell them. You just got to let them know. They don't just have to guess because if if we were just going off assumptions on catches and things like that. Uh, the NFL would be whack. It, it would be out of control. And I think it was unfair for the Saints. I think it was unfair for, you know, a lot of people in that situation, especially Dennis Allen. He looked really, really bad in that situation. 
people question his decision there. Why why would you spike it when the clock's not moving? But that's something you need to coaches need to figure out. They need to find an official and tell grab him by you know the shirt. Is the ball inbounds or out of bounds? Because as a Saints fan, as a just an NFL fan in general, that looked like a catch inbounds clock moving. There was no kind of official he's out, he's out. Because usually if it was out of bounds, they would let they would grab the ball, they would let someone know that the clock is not moving. So that was something I need I thought they needed to work on. Later that drive, you know, it was third and it was third and it was second and twenty. Uh Juwan, I think, had that catch across the middle. Then it's third and four. This is where it's the Saints' fault. They go to the ball, spike it immediately. I think I think Jameis thought they got it. I think Dennis thought they got the first down. Whoever decided to clock it, I think they thought they got the first down, but they didn't. Because why would you clock it on third down? Because they're in field goal range. The clock's currently moving. You could take that down all the way to three seconds, spike it, and then kick the field goal to win, and that would be the last play of the game. But they kind of panicked, went to the ball, and spiked it immediately. And it was like, whoa, it's fourth and four now. Why do we do that? If it was first down, I fully understand. You could even ran a play on third on third and four, and I think it was a little bit of a panic. I think that's something you need to work on. But you know, it's it's week one. That was very ticky tacky, and it felt like high school football there for a second with players not knowing what's going on, officials not knowing what's going on. But it's something they're gonna fix. And I'll just say this: if they look like that against Tampa Bay, they'll lose by twenty. So they need to figure it out. They need to get the run game going, they need to get the protections right. And regardless, I think it's encouraging that they were down 16 and they still believe they could win. That's just the culture in the Saints locker room that they always think they have a shot because they have the right personnel out there. It doesn't matter how big of a deficit it is. The biggest deficit ever in Saints history, 16 points. We all remember the 15-point game against the Redskins way back when. But this was something special, it was something different. In Atlanta, while they're twirling their little umbrellas, mocking us, they got the huge sign up in the city mocking us. We needed to win this game. The Saints are now one and zero. They beat the Falcons twenty-seven twenty-six. Big win for the Saints. They improved to one and zero. They're on top of the NFC South with a date with Tom Brady coming up next. We appreciate you guys' love and support. We'll come at you guys Wednesday. The pregame report for the Tampa Bay Bucks. We'll see you guys next episode. Who that? Let's go. We on a road. The next stop, the Super Bowl. Hell yeah, you know we on. We built to do this all night long. Who that? Who that say they gon' beat them Saints? They a lie. They can try, but in the dome we know they.